Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, Ruth chapter 3. It's a good number out this morning. Uh, got a few new faces and lots of old faces, so it's good to see everybody. As we start the lesson, I want to talk about a couple of terms uh, that you probably know, you're probably familiar with if you've done much Bible study or reading at all, but I believe that it's worth... Uh, discussing and, and maybe illustrating a little bit. And the first one, we're going to talk about a threshing floor. I'm sure you've heard the term threshing floor. It's, a, it's an agricultural term. Uh, it comes into play in this chapter. And I think it's important to understand a few things about it because uh, this becomes the meeting place for Ruth and Boaz. And I think a better understanding of it helps understand the story and what's going on a little bit. When I think of a threshing floor, Floor. I, I started to say I think of it as a public place, but I think maybe it's better said to be a, uh, a, a, a semi-private place. So in America, in old America, how did we get, uh, when people harvested their corn or their barley or whatever, they took it to a mill, right? And we've all seen the picture, how many remember a little house on the prairie? And, you know, and they had a sawmill there. And, of course, what happened is the, the water came and turned the big wheel, which gave power to the, the saw, and uh, a mill kind of worked the same way. Well, a threshing floor is a, a distant cousin to that. So a threshing floor basically in this time in this era was a large flat stone. Uh, often it would be round. Uh, it would be and big enough for several people to be on top of it to work the grain or, or the mill. Sometimes it would be kind of half moon or half round shape, half circle shape uh, for some reason. And I, I did a little reading on this. I, it didn't really illustrate why, but maybe that was an entry exit point or a place where they rake stuff off. But basically people would get the crops up there. And what you're doing with the threshing floors, you're separating the yield from the chaff. And so if it's corn, you'd want to get the kernel off the cob and the, and the husk and get rid of everything but just the kernel of the corn. Uh, if this, the barley, I don't know much about barley, but the grains, I guess, or the fruit of it, uh, they, would, they would take it and they would, and anytime you do this, you start with the large and you work down to the smaller. And so you peel away the stalks and, and all the things that you don't want to have in uh, human consumption, and that's the waste. Uh, that's the chaff, uh, and the further you go, the more minute it gets to the point where sometimes you're just rolling it on the stone, you're separating. And these threshing floors would usually be built or placed upon a hilltop so that a breeze would come across and carry away the chaff from the fruit or the yield. And I say semi-private place because not every, like the old mills in America, not everybody would have one, but every community or if it's a larger community you might have two or three everybody would come at harvest time and bring their harvest and at their time they would get to the threshing floor and they would harvest now if boaz is wealthy enough and it sounds like he may be he may own his own threshing floor and so maybe this harvest uh, or this harvesting place is only his but he's still going to have other people there so it's going to be a semi-public place uh this threshing floor that we're going to talk about. You can read about threshing floors in Ruth chapter 3, of course. Numbers 18, Hosea, Isaiah, Joel, Luke. There's, there's lots of places where they're mentioned and try to get a little bit better understanding of it or just look online. There's, there's a lot of information there too. Uh, 
Then we want to talk about kinsman redeemer. And I know we've all heard this term and it's been used quite a bit. And Boaz, of course, as we know, and as Ruth learns, he is a kinsman redeemer for her. Now this all goes back to the, the customs of that day, the Levitical laws of that day. So while some of the things, the process of how Ruth and Boaz come together might seem a little strange to us, in their day, it's perfectly natural. In fact, it's probably an even better way uh, than some of the practices that we hold. And you've kind of got to get yourself outside of thinking about uh, America 2024, almost at 2023, that's how far behind I am. Uh, but you go back to their day and, and the customs that it's, are followed are obviously they're good because they're part of Levitical law. And so, the, and we'll talk more about that, but they're good for a number of reasons. It's not just a process, but the emphasis was on family. God's emphasis was always on family. And one, I've heard one speaker recently talk about how we're getting away from that in America. And we, we, we tend to run more with our, uh, I think one of the terms is our tribe, you know, our, our close friends and this, that, and the other. It wasn't always that way. And in the Bible times, family was paramount. It, it's where you found protection. It's where you found provision. Your closest friends and, and, and fellowships were all within family. And of course, I understand it was a different society too. They were agri agrarian society where family farms were the infrastructure. They just were all the, the, the whole infrastructure was built upon farming and those family farms, the kibbutz. And so the farmers, would, as they raised sons and they would, they would build homes and they would just expand the farm and it made the farm stronger and better. Uh, more children were born and, and that's how it worked. But a kinsman redeemer is a, there were some qualifications. It was a near relative. And you find this a lot in Leviticus. And I thought I wrote it down. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you the verses in a little bit. The, the, root, the, the word actually means to redeem. So to act as a kinsman redeemer, uh, uh, avenge, revenge, ransom, uh, do the part of a kinsman. Anytime the, the Hebrew word uh, is used, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you, but uh, it's, some people say it goel. It doesn't look like goel to me, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The, the, the word can mean all of these things. And it, it means to, to redeem, to, to buy something back, if you will. And that was a large part of it. It, was, it wasn't just about people, but it was also about land. And so in Levitical law, they were not supposed to sell the land outside of the families. And so even if those lands were bought, there was provision made where the family could buy back the land and redeem it. Yet it, we might call it a right of first refusal, but it was more direct than that because it wasn't that the, the whoever bought the land just had to offer it. The redeemer could go, and especially on the seventh year, and say, we want this land back, and they had to sell. And so it was a way of keeping the families in their lands and, and to keep their families together. Now, it wasn't just property because it also was people, and it provided for, for people as well. But we learned that, that Boaz is a, a goel, a kinsman redeemer, for Ruth. 
To, to learn more about this, you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 34. That's probably the paramount passage on it. Certainly those two are, but you, it's also mentioned in Isaiah 59, verse 20. And, and that one has to do with Christ and prophecy and him being the redeemer. And all of this is a picture of Christ. Um, one thing that you realize as you read Ruth and as you study it is that it, it is a historical narrative. It, it's, a, it's a love story. We know that. There's romance through and through on this story. It is a historical narrative because these are real people in a real place. This, these things actually happened. But it's also an allegory. Uh, how many ever ever read the Pilgrim's Progress? A few? Yeah, that allegory, right? So it, it, it illustrates an overall truth throughout the whole story. And this is what Ruth does for us. It's, it's the redemption of Christ illustrated in the lives of these people. And so we, Ruth holds all of those things within its story. And so... It, we, we learned, uh, would, if we do a brief recap, in chapter 1, we, we learned about Elimelech and Naomi. And they're going through a time of crisis. So there's a famine. And they decide to do the wrong thing. And I understand their motives. I get it. I, I'm not judging, saying I wouldn't have done the same. But they leave God's uh, plan for their life. And there's no way around that. God told the children of Israel, this is where you're going to land, live. This is your, I'll be your God. This will be your place. You should be here. Uh, and they're even told not to sell the land. And they leave and go to, of all places, Moab, which they, they should not have gone to. And as things so often happened, it got better for a little while. Uh, sin is fun for a season. The scripture tells us that. And then things get, go, go from bad to worse. And uh, Elimelech dies, uh, both of their sons die, and so now we have Naomi, Ruth, and uh, Orpah, I almost said Oprah. It's Orpah, <laughs> not Oprah. Uh, and uh, Naomi comes to her, I don't want to say comes to her senses, but she, she comes to uh, the right way of thinking and says, I'm going to return, I'm going back to Yahweh. And, and now, things don't get better instantly for Naomi, do they? She comes back and she's still saying, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. Bitter. My life is hard. It is bitter. Things have, God has dealt bitterly with me. And she's not judging God. She's just saying, this is, this is how it is. But we learned that Ruth, this daughter-in-law, uh, both Orpah and Ruth start out to go come back with Naomi, but Ruth, or Naomi turns them back. But Ruth, she won't leave. She says, no, I choose to be with you, to be faithful to you, but also I choose your God. And this is the key. This is the difference. So Ruth returning, while it is full of character trait and she is faithful and she is good to Naomi, it's more than that. She's choosing the God of Israel. It's a spiritual decision. And she comes back, and again, just like Naomi, things don't get instantly better for Ruth. Don't think that. Uh, too many Christians think, oh, if I'm a Christian, everything could go well or should go well. And be No, 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 no. Uh, you know, there will be hard times for everybody. And such is true with Ruth, but she sticks by the stuff. So she returns. 
But the, the key truth in chapter 1 is that she chooses God. Chapter 2, she makes a plan for survival. And she goes out and she begins to glean amongst the harvesters. And this is a Levitical rite. This was God's way to take to make provision for the poor. Uh, the farmers had certain things that they had to leave behind. We talked about that last week. When they did their harvest, there were certain things. They, now, they weren't required to harvest and, 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 uh, and, and go to the threshing floor and prepare it and then just deliver it to the homes while the poor sat around and did nothing. No, the poor were to go out and work and be a part of the community and, and, to, and to put forth some effort. But the, those who owned land uh, who had had to make provision for that. And so, and there was a, there were laws concerning that. So Ruth goes out and takes part of that. She begins to glean, and lo and behold, who does she meet? Whose field does she end up at? Of course, it's Boaz. Uh, and the scripture almost writes it that way. And by the way, she happened to come to the field, and we know that this is the hand of God working. Uh, we we can see that, and we talked about this last week that she is doing the things that she knows. Are the, the small things that, that are clear. The Bible said, the Levitical law said, go out and do these things to provide for yourself. Work and seek provision and God will bless. And so she does those small things and, and, the, and, and then the hand of God begins to move supernaturally in a way that she does not anticipate or, or see. And she comes to the field of Boaz. And once she gets there, Boaz just basically says, don't leave. Stay here and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. You stay with my young ladies. I've told the young men to, to stay away from you. You're safe here. And then at mealtime, she was welcomed in. And, and, and all based primarily upon Ruth's character. Boaz had heard about her. That what she had done for Naomi, that she had chosen the God of Israel. She had left Moab and she was here and she, was, she, was, she had sacrificed to provide for Naomi. And Boaz said, the whole community knows this. We've heard these things about you. So I want to, in turn, reach out and provide for you. I, I want you to have more than the average gleaner. And she did. She went home with, uh, I think, a, an ephah. We said, and it, that's like five and a half gallons in one day. That, that was huge for them. And so uh, this is where we left it. And, and by the way, and, and we, at the end of the chapter, as she's talking to, or as Ruth is talking to Naomi, and she says, oh, and uh, she said, well, but Naomi saw how much she brought back. and said, well, where did you go? Because this was unusual. She said, well, some guy named Boaz. And automatically, ooh, he's a new relative. There's possibilities here. And Ruth said, oh, it gets better than that, Mom. He said, come back. He said, don't go anywhere else till this harvest is over. You come back here, and I'm protecting you. I'm providing for you. And so what do you think Mom-in-law's thinking? Oh, come on now. It's not just Bible. <laughs> come on, women. You know what she's thinking. I can get these two together. And that's fun. <laughs> she, she's thinking, here's the oh, this is Boaz. This is opportunity. Now, that's not derogatory. That's not negative. That's a wonderful thing. She's thinking Boaz is a great match 
for, for my daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's been so good and so loving, and, and they're great for each other. So don't, don't think this is evil stepmom interloping and trying to make, no, 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 no. She's doing what she should be. She's providing for her, her young stepdaughter. She's giving advice. She's looking out for her. And this is where we find them in chapter 3, see. And so Ruth begins to talk to, I'm sorry, Naomi begins to talk to Ruth about these things and explain the Levitical law and the, and the, uh, the Goel, uh, the kinsman redeemer, how, how God had set these things up, not just for land, but for widows. And see, that sounds really, really weird to us. And by the way, if somebody wants to throw the Levitical law at you next time, ask them if they're willing to marry their sister-in-law when their brother dies. Because that was part of the, the Levitical law that we're talking about here. There was all kind of Levitical laws that people don't want to account for, but they want to throw other laws in your face. But this was a way that God had for, for, to provide for these widows. And so uh, if they had died without children... Uh, if the husband had died and they, there was no child to provide for the widow, the, the near kinsman was to take that, that woman for his wife and raise children, not in his own name, but in his brother's name or his relative's name if it wasn't a brother, so that that land could be occupied by that family and they could continue on. That was the whole strategy of it. And this was God's plan. And so Naomi begins to explain this in chapter 3. And he says, you know, I'm your mother-in-law. And he says, shouldn't I, shouldn't I seek rest for you or security? Uh, your Bibles may say it in different ways, but that's in verse 1. In, in the New King James, seek security. And I think the ESV, it said rest. But this word, uh, it means, it, it literally, you know, it's probably, uh, rest is probably a better English word. And you can find this word in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 9. And this is part of the story of Noah. You remember when he sent the dove out of the ark to, to see if the, the waters had receded? And, and uh, the, the dove comes back with nothing the first time. And it says that it found no place to rest its foot. So in other words, you get this picture of this bird, this poor bird who's flying and flying and flying and flying, looking for somewhere to rest, to stop, to stop the work of having to fly. He's seeking and looking, and there's nowhere to land. There's no food. There's no nothing. And so it comes back, and it says it rests its foot upon the ark. It doesn't find rest until it gets back to the ark. And that's kind of what this word illustrates. Um, and there was another great illustration in Deuteronomy, and I can't remember what that one was now, so I'm just going to leave you with that one. But it's in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 64 and 65, uh, if you will. So uh, it, it's this thing of seeking a, a rest for Ruth, a, a place, a place of provision, a place of not having to wonder about, okay, well, the harvest was great this year and Boaz was there, but what about next year? And what about next week? And what about the winter? And what about all these other things? And what about children? And what all these things would be provided for. That's what this word rest. All this is encompassed in this word of this kinsman redeemer here. And so Naomi says, I'm your mother-in-law. Shouldn't I seek this for you? And of course it's rhetorical. Of course she should. And she says, 
Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In other words, Ruth, have you thought about Boaz? And I bet you Ruth probably had. There was some, there was some relationship building there. She, you know, and, and there, was, there was mutual admiration. Uh, her to him and she, to, and she back to him. And, and, and she said, hey, he's, he's a kinsman redeemer. He, he checks all the boxes. And then she, she talks about his location says, by the way, Boaz is winnowing, and he's at the threshing floor. Now, how does she know that? Well, very simple. The harvest just ended. All the farmers, that's where they're at. They're not done. They got the crop in, but they got to, they got to go to the threshing floor. They got to winnow. They've got to get all the chaff separated and make this crop where they can put it up and they can store it or they can sell it or whatever they're going to do. So they, she knows that Boaz is there. See, she's, Ma-in-law is pretty cunning. She knows what's going on. She knows where this young man's at. And so she gives Ruth some advice. And I want to read the advice to you. We'll just start in verse 2. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not a relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself. And anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. Several things here. First of all, this is great female advice, is it not? Oh, y'all look just, you look stunned. <laughs> like, like this has never happened. Nobody's ever talked to y'all about this. So I guess I'll start from square one. <laughs> but ladies, if you want to approach a man and he's been working he's in, and he's hungry, are you going to get very far? No. Why? What are, what are men? We're basically a sack full of appetites. <laughs> We are. We, we, we have appetites and we want them filled. And she says, okay, Boaz has been working. But and she's, first of all, go get cleaned up. Uh, put on your best garment. Dress up a little bit. <coughs> anoint yourself. That's, that's a little dab of vanilla behind the ear, you know. Get smelling really good. See? And go down there, but don't bother him while he's eating. Let him eat. All right? Let him finish eating and drinking, and then he's going to lay down. You take note of where he lays down. So she, and Ruth, to her credit, she listens. Older women teach the young. Older men teach the younger men. There's some wisdom in just experience, and, and Naomi had this. She said, this is where you're going to go. And maybe she had to tell, explain where the threshing floor was. I, I, I don't know. But she says, he's going to be here. Let him eat. Let him finish. Because he, he's going to be hungry. He's, he, he's full of appetite. He, he needs to get full. And guys, what do we do after we eat? Sleep. Watch TV. We sleep. Watch TV. That's right. 
it's time to chill. That's right. Hey, both good answers. It's time to chill. We talked about the easier easy chair earlier. That, that's right. But uh, eating's first. If, if, well, sometimes it's all at the same time with the easy chair on the TV. But that appetite's got to be. Lisa, Seth, when he was a teenager and at home, what would he do when it came mealtime? Oh, he still does it. He just starts bouncing. Like <laughs> the head starts bobbing. He starts getting excited. <laughs> that appetite's about to be filled. He's oh man, he just he's always a happy kid, but he's he's twice as happy when it's meal time. That's us guys. We're a bundle of appetites. That takes priority. I, I was in college, and one of my professors had a daughter in college there, and and she would get hungry, but if she didn't have anybody to go with her to the dining hall, she'd just not go. I don't understand that. <laughs> that made no sense to me whatsoever. I wouldn't care if anybody was in the dining hall. If they had food and I'm sitting there by myself, all the better. Nobody's in my way. See, it's, it's, again, with, we, we come at stuff differently. And, that, and that's all Naomi's trying to teach Ruth these things. Now let him eat, let him finish. Let him, and, and I can imagine, and again, I think this is, so when she goes at night and she says he's going to lay down, note where he lays down. So picture this. That the, it's dark, all right? It's a, there's no street lights. It's, we don't know darkness like they know darkness. It's, even in Honduras, it's hard to find dark spots, but sometimes if we're far enough in a community and it gets late enough, you can tell how dark it's going to get. If you're away from the main road, there's no lamps or streetlights or anything. So the, it, this is a dark place. But again, I think it's a semi-public place. Because if I'm a farmer and I've got all these crops... Now, why is, why is uh, Boaz sleeping with his crops? Exactly. Bandits would come or they would steal. Or even animals. You know, he's got to protect the, the, the yield there. And so if I'm a successful man like Boaz is, am I going to be there by myself or am I going to have some of those young guys too? I, I think I'm going to have some of the young. In fact, I'm probably going to have a rotation. Uh, when I was in the Army and we would go out uh, and we'd be out at night, there was guard duty. And so while everybody else slept, there was a rotation where some of us would be up if we were, you know, out in the field. And, the, and, and so I think probably it's, it makes sense that probably something like that's going on. And so I think there's probably young men surrounding this threshing floor. And I think they probably all had a big meal uh, and, and then probably they dispersed. So if animals are coming in from different directions, it's going to wake people up or there's going to be people on guard duty. And it says that Boaz, he lays down at the end of the pile. He's, he's the boss. So he's probably not in. He don't have to get up and do his guard duty. He's paying other people to do that. And I think he's laying down by himself, but there's other people nearby. So when it talks about her coming at night and laying down and uncovering his feet, don't think that anything out of the out of uh, ordinary is going on here. There, there's nothing that's sexual going on. There's nothing, this is custom. And, and the idea of her laying at his feet, this was presenting herself uh, as a servant. It, it's the position of a servant. And, and it sounds degrading to us, but it's, that's because we live in nice air-conditioned homes and we have everything. And if you're sleeping out in the field, you know what gets cold first? Your feet. 
It's where your, your circulation's not best. Uh, if you're sleeping with your boots on, that's where you, your, your old nasty socks get wet and sweaty and then the cold sets in. And, and so she comes in and after he's asleep, uh, and I don't think he had sleep apnea, Mike. I think he did okay. <laughs> if if she sounded like that guy, she'd have run. She wouldn't. This story would have never happened. But she comes in and she uncovers his feet, and she she lays out. What she she provides some warmth, warmth there. And it says at midnight he was startled. He, I guess he got too comfortable. Those feet were too warm. He said, "What? Who is it?" So it's dark. She don't, he don't know. And she cries out and she says, it, it, it's, your, it's your maidservant, Ruth. See, she presents herself as maidservant. He doesn't demand it. She presents it. She, and it said, the scripture said she came to him softly. She moves in softly. And she, she's there and she's, she's providing this warmth on his feet and she's uh, presenting. And, and Boaz, man, he is thrilled that it's Ruth. He's excited. He's surprised. And I don't, I think it's verse 10 if you want to look at it. But he says something to this effect. He says, Ruth, he's already complimented her in the past about her character. See, again, like I said last week, the, the story never mentions how Ruth looks or how Boaz looks. We don't know if they're good-looking people or average-looking people or, or look like me. We don't know. Because the story didn't concern itself with that. Their character. They looked at each other's character and they fell in love with the person that each other was. And Boaz is excited that it's Ruth that has come. And again, nothing out of order here. But he says, Ruth, you've been more generous in the end than you even were in the beginning. Something to that effect. It's in verse 10. What's he mean? He says, I've already mentioned how you were, you, you were kind to Naomi. And you came and, and, you, and you, you took care of her. You didn't have to do that, Ruth. And here you are out working and gleaning, not just for yourself, but for her to provide. Man, I think a lot of that. He said, but now you're choosing me? See, Boaz doesn't think he deserves. He, he, he says, I would have thought that you would have chosen somebody younger and more wealthy than me. And obviously he's saying, man, you could have had any guy you wanted, Ruth. You're here for me? That's generous. You're showing mercy to me. See, isn't that beautiful? She comes humbly. She, she didn't come down and throw the law book down. Leviticus 19, buddy. Let's go to the courthouse, you and me. Get in the back of the truck, I'm driving. No, she doesn't come in demanding her, her legal right. She comes softly and tenderly and submissively. And Boaz won't allow that. He lifts her up. He says, wow, you chose me. No, 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 no. I'm the one that's blessed. You're more generous now than you even were in the beginning, Ruth. He says, do this. Don't tell anybody that you're here. And I want you to leave before daylight so that nobody... Now, again, this is not because anything's out of, out of sorts. They're not, they're not doing anything wrong here. But Boaz is smart. And he says, we're going to keep this a secret. This is between you and me, 
well, and mother-in-law. And, and he gives her a gift. He, and, he, and he gives uh, some, some barley. And I think my version says three measures. Anybody else got a version that says three ephahs? Some of them do. Uh, it's probably verse 11 or 12 or something like that. I, don't, I think... It, scoops. Scoops, okay. Scoops is a good translation. Some, some translations say ephah, and I don't know which ones it is, but even that's in italics. Yeah, so that's probably a bad translation. Is it in italics by any chance? It is. Yeah, so it means they just inserted that word. Here's why I think that's wrong. We learned last week ephah is over five gallons. So yeah, so three of those is like sixteen gallons of grain. That's that's a lot to carry in your in your apron. So I don't think she had an apron that big. I think I think he gives her three handful. She's already taken home several ephahs. This is not a provision. This is a he's a gentleman. He don't have a box of chocolate, so he gives her this, and, and she can take it home and say, mother-in-law, hey, he he's on board, and he gave me this gift. See. And he says, go home and don't tell anybody about this because there's a problem. Dun, dun, dun. Always a problem, isn't there? This tells us something else about Boaz's character. He says, I am a kinsman redeemer, but there's one who is nearer than I. There's another person who's, who's a nearer kinsman, and he has the first right. Now, Boaz loves Ruth, there's no doubt. He wants to be her kinsman redeemer. But he is not willing to, to dodge or go around or compromise the law of God. Not even in the name of love. Boaz is a man of character. But it, he's got an idea. He says, Ruth, go home. And I'm going to handle this matter. In other words, you're going to be married. We just don't know who the groom's going to be. <laughs> How about that, ladies? That sound good to you? So she goes back and tells Naomi, and Naomi gives her some more advice. He says, "Be still. Let the, the man's going to resolve this today." And now Naomi's shrewd enough. She she knows older women smart. They they know what's going on. They know what's going on without knowing what's going on. I don't know how, but they know. <laughs> and she says, the man's going to take care of this today. He's going to handle this. And so when you come back next week, you'll find out who the groom's going to be. Is it going to be Boaz or oh, what's his name? <laughs> I love you. I'll see you next week. It's got to be old what's his name. That's why we know so much about